influence of a daddy cannot be replaced by mama. I appreciate mamas that's had to do it on their own. I thank the Lord for those. But all in all, the influence of a, of a dad, it cannot, cannot be replaced by anything other than just having a daddy. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure I knew the ways that I've got notes this morning on Father's Day message that I was intending on preaching still may be there, but I just want to say a few things before we get there this morning. Uh, that is that them girls just got through singing. The things that are instilled in the life of children will last when those that when the instiller is gone. My uh the man that raised me, he uh he passed away in two thousand twelve. I sat there this morning listening to those songs. I recall as I look at my life, Brother Bradley, I see what he what he placed in me. He's been gone, you know, 11 years, pushing on 12, 11, 12, coming up on 11. But none of that's died. None of that's diminished that he placed in me, that he taught me. Matter of fact, if anything, it's gotten a little stronger. The older I've gotten, the more important that I've seen those little things that I used to overlook. We sit here today and we're missing folks. Brother Philip talked about missing his dad. I miss my dad. I miss my wife's dad. I miss Brother John. Those were men that made a difference in my life. And uh, each of them instilled something in me, planted something there. Each of them loved me. And uh, reminded of this thing right here today and that is that this thing we know of as life is not permanent. It's only temporary. As a matter of fact, James said that our life is as a vapor. It's here just a little while then it vanishes away. For those of you that are here this morning that are younger, you don't understand that. I didn't understand it when I was younger. I didn't think a whole lot of it when I was younger. But today, my life has been brief. It's been swift. It's been quick. 
But if I stay the course of the promised years that God give me, there's just a few years left. And to be able to appreciate what somebody or Dave instilled in us, we've got an obligation to instill in others. A little more. It's a, it's a more desperate day than the days that, it were, that, the, that, that my dad planted in me the things that needed to be planted. It's a more, it's a more dangerous day Today is. It's a dangerous day we're living, Brother Joe. Satan would rather do nothing than destroy families, tie down churches, defeat your marriage, do everything within his power to ruin your life. Maybe some of you's already allowed him to get a foothold in there. Satan has the upper hand on you and God is in the back burner. He's not really thought about very much by you in life. Maybe some of your families are that way. Maybe some of your families have forsaken God and forsaken the things of God and gotten away from God and turned their back on the holy God of heaven, the one that they have been brought up to believe and trust in. They're in trouble. They're in terrible shape. They're in a bad condition. Turn with Mark chapter 9 this morning. Mark chapter 9. I want to preach to you if I can on the subject this morning of the determination of a desperate dad. The determination of a desperate dad. Mark chapter 9. We're going to begin to read with verse number 14. When you find your place, if you will, I'd ask you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God, Mark chapter, 14, Mark chapter 9, and beginning to read with verse number 14. Jesus had just came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. There he and James and John, Peter, James, and John had went with the Lord Jesus. They beheld as the Lord was glorified there before their eyes, and they saw him. The Lord Jesus, in a glorified way, they saw Elias, Moses, and Elias there. There we find Peter began to make more of it than what it was. He wanted to build a temple, build a, a, a temple in honor of all three of them. He wanted to build one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elias, and of course the Lord Jesus told him that was not necessary. On the way down, the Lord began to talk to them and tell them that, uh, that it, indeed, I say unto you that that Elias has indeed come, and they have, have done, and uh, whosoever that listed as it is written. In verse number 14, it said, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them. Now there was uh, three disciples with the Lord, and the rest were left down in the valley. The rest were down, were down at a lower place. The rest were not there any longer. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him and asked the scribes what question ye with them and he asked the scribes what question ye with them and one of the multitude answered and said master I have brought unto thee my son which hath a dumb spirit and wheresoever he taketh him he tarrieth him and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away and I spake to thy disciples uh, that they should cast him out and they, ca they could not 
He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. They brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that, he came, that, the, that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And was coming to the, and coming to the house, uh, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Father, help us this morning to stand and to preach your word. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you and be seated. The determination of a desperate dad. In this word here, in the title, I gave you the word of desperate. The word uh, desperate root comes from the root word or the root word of despair. Uh, that's where it comes from. The word desperate uh, is a word meaning, according to Webster's 1828, it means without care of safety. It means without hope uh, if, uh, if, if no intervention is made. In other words, that a person is desperate when they're without hope. Uh, a person is desperate when there does not seem to be a way out of a situation. And we see a dad that has come to the Lord Jesus or came to the disciples. And if you recall, when the Lord gave the limited commission unto the disciples, unto the 70, he gave those disciples, he gave them power over devils, did he not? He gave them power over demons. And he told them that they could cast them out. And remember, they came back and said, Oh, Lord, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us. And Jesus said, Rejoice not, therefore, that the devils are subject unto you, but rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. And there's the reason that Jesus said that they should rejoice. You see, <coughs> I see in this man a desperation. He was a man of despair. Uh, this man uh, had a son that he loved, and it's just a normal thing for a man, for a dad, to love his children. I don't understand the situation today, how that men can father children, and how that they can never have anything to do with them, how they can never uh, do anything like, I'm talking about live a lifetime without any contact. I, I don't understand that. Uh, it's a natural thing uh, for, for a man to love his offspring. I, it's just that way. I see this dad's desire uh, that he had, that, he, that it was his desire to show uh, his son or to bring his son unto the Lord Jesus. Remember, in verse 17, the Bible said that, I, that he, he explaining to the Lord Jesus, he said, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. 
In other words, uh, uh, the, the greatest thing, the only thing he knew of that could help his son would be to get his son to where Jesus was. Uh, get his children, get his, uh, that son of his in which was uh, uh, in, the, in despair himself, that son of his in which was in a, a condition that maybe uh, that no one would want to be in, that this son needed to be brought unto Jesus. He didn't say I'm carrying him to the witch doctor. He didn't say I'm carrying him to the chiropractor. He didn't say I'm carrying him anywhere else. But I'm carrying him unto Jesus. Let me say uh, that, that this morning uh, that the best place you can ever carry your children is bring them to the feet of the Lord Jesus. Uh, the greatest place uh, that you can ever, the greatest thing you could ever do uh, for your family is to bring them to where Jesus is and let those children come in contact with the God of glory. Let them know about the God, the Son of God, the one that taketh away the sins of the world. There's no better place. There's a lot got them at the ball fields today. There's a lot got them at the river today. There's a lot got them at the beach today. But I'm telling you, there's no better place to have them than in the house of God this morning uh, so they can be introduced uh, uh, to a good God that can help them uh, when every bit of the world has turned their back on them. When the world's on fire, I'm glad that I know Jesus is on my side. I thank God that I had a daddy that made sure I could be brought to where Jesus was. Woo, hallelujah, I'm glad uh, that I had a daddy that made sure when it was time to go to church uh, uh, that I, I, even when I didn't want to go, and he may not even win, uh, but he made sure that I went. You say, preacher, I don't understand all that. I don't neither. I'm just glad for it. I just bless his name uh, for that. Let's, first of all, this morning, let's look at the process that's taking place. Something happened to cause this man to seek Jesus. Verse number 21 uh, tells us that this boy had been this way, the Bible said, from a child. I don't know how old he was, but most Bible scholars uh, uh, would say that this young man, uh, that he was in his teenage years by now. If you read behind the many, they seem to think by the, I don't know how they get it, but they think that maybe this was a young teenage man, but he had been in this condition from a child. In other words, if I understand things correctly, this boy was kind of mute. He was deaf and he was dumb. That, that's the spirit that the Lord said he cast out of him, wasn't it? Thou, thou dumb and deaf spirit, ain't that what he said? And, uh, uh, so the boy couldn't talk undoubtedly, uh, but the, that devil would, uh, would cause him to convulse. That devil would tear him. That devil would cause him to be thrown into the fire. This man was in despair. He was desperate in desperation. He loved his son. Uh, you say, how can you love somebody uh, like that because it come from him and because he was his daddy and he loved him and he wanted him to, to get help. Uh, uh, maybe he thought for years, I, I got to wondering why in the world uh, did it take him so long uh, to find where Jesus was uh, and I know that uh, that that maybe that, uh, that that the Lord's ministry had not been long begun here, and, and maybe the things were kept quiet about the Lord, and finally He heard about Him. Uh, but I wonder what He done for the uh, first part of the young man's life. He may have went to bed at night, and He said, "Maybe this old my little boy, he'll grow out of this one day." There's a lot of us waiting. There's a lot of us trusting uh, that our children are going to grow out of the sinful nature that they got. Uh, that we're trusting, we're hoping that. They're going to wake up one morning and turn over a new leaf. But I'm here to tell you, without a daddy that's a-praying, without a mama that's a-praying, that odds are it's not going to happen that way. Maybe he'll grow up and get out of this situation. He may have thought one day he'll just wake up better. 
You see, the routine of this boy's situation had become normal. You know what's bad is when sin becomes normal in our life. When we become tolerant of sinfulness in our children. That's what happened with Eli we heard about this morning. That's what happened with him with Hophni and Phinehas. That Eli became tolerant of sin. He became okay with sin. He became acceptable of sin. When we begin to, uh, to say uh, that sin is acceptable and we begin to say uh, it's okay for our children. We may not say it out loud, but by our actions we'll say, well, there's nothing I can do about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to tell you there is something you can do about it. Y'all don't get quiet and get locked, y'all, because I said that. I'm telling you there is something. You're still daddy. You're still mama. You still got to say so. But more than that, if you're saved, you still got a direct line to the holy God of heaven. And you can still talk to God. And if we'll get desperate enough with God, I'll tell you what Jesus will do. He'll show up right where we need him at. Amen. If we'll get desperate, this old boy got desperate, you see. He, he, was, uh, he, he, was, uh, in des he was in despair. Uh, the Bible, he said, he began to explain to him what the routine may have been. He said he t he'd tear himself. Or he, he oftentimes he teareth him. And, and sometimes he foameth and he gnasheth with his teeth. He grinds his teeth and, and all this. He, he does all of this. It's a normal day. Uh, in other words, it's, it's nothing, nothing out, of the no out of the ordinary. This is what happens all the time. When the abnormal becomes acceptable, we create a form of acceptableness in us and, and we begin to overlook ungodliness. We begin to overlook uh, the problem. Uh, why would it, uh, th th this man wait until now before he would uh, seek the Lord about the problem with his son? Uh, you know, as I said, most theologians uh, uh, suspect this boy was a teenager by now. Uh, but why do we wait until the world's attractions get a hold of our family uh, before we get serious with God? Why do we wait before alcohol takes in the... And grabs a hold of the child. Why do we wait before dope and sexual and, uh, immorality takes a hold of our boys and girls? Uh, why do we wait uh, until the world before pornography uh, ruins the family before we start getting real serious with God? It'd be good to get serious. Listen to me. It'd be good to get serious today with the Holy God and not wait till there's trouble that runs in there. I'll tell you, we're as much in despair right now. Brother Philip, you're as much desperate right now for God as what you'll ever be in your life. I don't know what them boys will turn out to be, what that precious little girl will turn out to be, what Caitlin will turn out to be. I don't know how that's all going to work out, but I know you need God just as much today as you will in a day when they turn their back. If they turn their back on him, you need him today. Those of you think you don't need him and you live your lives like you don't need him. Amen. Live your lives like you don't need him. And Satan's plan is destroy you. Satan's plan, that's what Satan's plan was for that boy. You know what God, what's, what the devil wants to do with him? He wants to kill him, ruin him, to take him out of the out of the factor. He wants to take him, ruin his life, destroy him. That's what the devil wants to do. The devil wants to take them little girls, Chico. He wants to take Amberly and Kylie, make them impure, make them a, a ladies of the night, if you will. Uh, you say, oh, no, that can't happen. I'm telling you, you need God in order for it not to happen. I'm telling you what the devil wants you to do, what, what the devil wants to do. He's done accomplish that with some. I got to, I got to looking at, y'all see them, them, 
But at them Bible school pictures this week from years ago, what I shared on Facebook, what was it, five years ago, six years ago, something like that? Them, them two was little old bitty things. Amberly was that little old girl, you know, singing everywhere she went. You know, but I've seen faces in there that I don't see anymore. There was people there that's no longer here. We're talking about young people. That at that time had a heart for God. I remember being at youth camp and watching one young lady weep the whole youth camp because she didn't want to have a family like the family she was brought up in. It was all the way in Georgia. And her heart was broken because she wanted to have what these girls sang about this morning. Today, by the life she's living, she doesn't have that. <laughs> you see, I'm not trying to get personal, but I am trying to get personal. Satan's plan, sir, is to destroy your family. If you fail to fight, then you're doomed as a family. Proverbs 15 11 said, Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more than the hearts of the children of men? Wow. The Lord considers our children dying and going to hell a serious thing. In other words, He says it's ever before Him. The Lord says that, that it's ever before Him. He sees it. He understands it. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9 says this <coughs> in the latter part of that ninth verse that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So where's, where, is it the Lord that's dropped the ball? Or have you become complacent? Have we become complacent in our lives with our children being out of the will of God? Has it become just an acceptable thing? Huh? Become ordinary? We see the process number two. Won't you look at the pessimism in this in this scripture? Notice this. I find that this man had brought his son to the disciples, and I don't know how long they had been there before Jesus and, and Peter and James and John came down, but undoubtedly had been some time because there was just about a riot taking place. There, there was just about. I mean, it would it done got, it done got kind of out of hand, and the Lord comes down and said, "What's going on here?" And they said. That this man speaks up, and he said, uh, uh, and, and, and straightway one of the, the people and, and beheld him were greatly amazed and running together and saluted him. And, and he asked and the scribes, what question ye with them? And, and one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And whosoever he, uh, and wheresoever we taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and he gnasheth with his teeth, and he pineth away. And I spake unto thy disciples that they should cast him out. Listen to this. 
and they could not. He had come to the church. He had come to the men of God for some help. and They couldn't help. Notice this, if you will. Notice in verse number 22. Notice in verse 22. And oftentimes it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. Notice this. But if thou canst do anything. He not only doubted the disciples, he wasn't sure that Jesus could do anything. Is that not pessimistic? You see what happened? The spirituality or the lack thereof of the disciples brought doubt upon their Lord. Because their disciple, his disciples were not spiritual enough to do what the Lord had already given them power to do. Because they were unable to do that, he wondered, this dad wondered, Lord, if you can do anything about it, I don't know if you can or not. If thou canst do anything, but if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. In other words, he said, I'm wondering if I'm going to have to take him back the same way I brought him. I'm wondering if he's going to have to go back the same way, just as possessed, just as in trouble as what he was when I brought him here. You know, I wonder how many of us have really come to the question, come at the thought, well, I wonder, I wonder if he'll ever be saved. I remember when Seth was lost, and I remember wondering. I'll be honest with you, I, I, I wasn't questioning God, but I wondered. I, there was times that I wondered, God, is he ever going to get saved? Is he ever going to trust Jesus? Is he ever going to get born again? I, I, I wanted it so bad, but I, I'll be honest with you, I wondered, I questioned it, would he ever? And God proved his faithfulness. <laughs> oh, unto me. But then we find that Jesus turns this thing around. <laughs> I like it. To him when he responded in verse number 23. He kind of had doubt toward Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 23. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, then all things are possible to him that believeth. We're having a reality check here. The Lord said, Son, basically, if I had to preach a message on that, on that verse right there, Brother Philip, the Lord looked at Daddy and said, if your family's going to get any help, it's laying in your lap. If your family ever gets any help, it's laying in your lap, Daddy. If that son of yours gets help, you're going to be responsible for it. We don't like to think that way. Do you know, sir, do you know that you're responsible for the spirituality of your family? 
There ain't nothing I can do about them. Now, they won't live for God. They ain't nothing. Hold on. Hold on. While there's time and while there's hope, sir, you're responsible for your children and for their spirituality. I'm going to even say this. You're responsible for your wife's spirituality. You're responsible for it. What do you mean? I mean, when you stand in judgment, you're going to give an account of yourself unto a holy God of heaven for how your children have turned out. What is the problem, preacher? What are you getting at? I'm saying, I wonder how desperate we are for our families today. I wonder if there's a need, if there's a need for despair amongst the men of North Spring Baptist Church. Or are we just going to become acceptable that our families have gone away? It's not God's fault that our families are in desperate need. Dad, it's your fault. You're responsible for the spiritual temperature of your family. There's the pessimism. But number three, I see the profession. Look at the scripture in verse number 24. Straightway the father of the child. He'd just been told by the Lord now. Remember what the Lord told him in verse 23. If you can believe, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. He had just accused the Lord, Lord, if you can do anything, I want you to do. The Lord said, it's not whether I can do it or not. It's whether or not you can receive it or not. It's not whether or not I have the power to do it. It's whether or not you, if you're for real. Y'all hear, I need to say that again because I, it's not whether or not I'm able to do it, but it's whether or not you're for real. We can go through the motions all day long. We can run down to an altar and we can cause our, ourselves to, to, to spew a few little tears down there. Uh, but that don't mean you're for real. We can act like we're concerned, but that don't mean you're for real. I tell you what, when, when, when for real comes in, uh, what, what really, what really uh, acknowledge that is when you wake up in the morning, you're encompassed with it. When you go to bed at night, you're, uh, you're overwhelmed with the thought. Uh, when you wake up the next morning, the thought's still upon your mind and your heart that I want my family, I want to drive, like Racker saying, I want to be that man that loves the Lord with all his heart, uh, just like the, 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 the Word commands. I want to be that person. I want to my family. I want to teach my family. I want my family to be in the house of God. I want to be that man. If that's not something that you just do haphazardly. If you want to be that man, it takes a it takes a a, a, a dedicated effort to do that. Listen to what he said in verse number four, 24. Lord, I believe. A semicolon. Right? Stop there. He said, he's, he's a man, okay? <laughs> the Lord said, now if thou canst believe, all things are possible to them that believe. And he said, Lord, I believe. Uh-oh. Lord, help my unbelief. See, Lord, I don't want you to think bad about me, so I'm going to say I believe. But then, Lord, I realize that you're Lord, and you're not just some average Joe, and I know you know me better than I know me. Lord, I need you to help my unbelief. 
Lord, I just testified. I didn't really believe it not, whether or not you could do it a while ago. I just said it through verses earlier. I didn't know whether you're capable of doing it. God help my unbelief. God, I didn't know if you were able to do it. God help my unbelief. There's some unbelief here. I don't know if you're able to do it. God, I need help with that. I need some help with this. It's, whether, it's not whether or not there was. Perhaps there, I've heard it preached that way. He, he said, well, perhaps I may not believe. No, it, it's not that way. It's not where he's saying, perhaps I, I don't believe all the way. I don't believe enough. It's uh, that he come to reality. And he remembered what he said two verses earlier. And he testified two verses earlier that he didn't know if the Lord could do what he knew he could, was able to do. Many of us in our life, we'll talk like we know what God's able to do. Well, I know God can help me. God can do this. God, oh, I know God can heal me. I know God can make. But do you really believe that? It's easy to say because it sounds churchy. It's easy to say because it sounds religious. It's easy to say. But do you live as though that God, I've got every confidence in you that you're able to help my despair? You're able to help me in my desperation. You're able to help God where I can't help. God, I had to take my hands off of it. God, I've had to take it away. I've had to give it to you. God, uh, you know, it's you, God. Uh, it's you. Most of us start off uh, uh, and end like this dad began. Lord, I believe. I, I, I believe, Lord. I, you know, I, I believe this. Uh, uh, but Lord, the problem is not with me. It's, uh, it's not my fault. I'm not, it's not my, my, I'm not the reason. I didn't cause this. They make their own decisions. <laughs> Y'all don't get locked jaw on me now. Oh, I know they make their own decisions. Don't you judge me by them, preacher. You've probably got more to deal, do with their situation than you're willing to admit. Many of us are still testifying our belief without ever confessing our unbelief. Notice that it was after this his confession of his failure that his, that his son received help. Y'all see that? It was not until he acknowledged that, Lord, I've got a need myself. Then we see the provision, number four. Verses 25 through 27, we find for years this dad had been disappointed when his son could not be healed. I can only imagine. Couldn't you? <clears throat> I can imagine what it's like for, for, for parents and to take sick children, try to get help for sick children, and just to hear the words one after another, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. And I'm leaving in despair and heartbroken. But finally he confessed that he had not lived up to what he needed to be. And I find at that time that God stepped out of nowhere and took care of his problem. I heard somebody say once that God works best when our back is against the wall. When we've got nowhere else to turn, when we've got nowhere, nothing else to do, when we're at the end of ourselves, you see, 
so many times in order to get the help of God in your home, in order to get the help of God with your family, in order to get God's help where, you, where, where it needs to be, we've got to get out of the equation and say, Lord, I'm probably the problem. I'm probably not the answer. But, uh, I'm probably, but God, if there is uh, any answer to it, it's going to have to be you, God. You're going to have to do this. We as dads, we like to think, well, I, I can handle it. I'll handle that. Funniest thing in the world. Y'all watch Chico bow up sometimes. I'm telling you, that's the funniest sight in the world. You know, he's that tall, right? Bow up. It's just nature. That's his family. I can handle it. But I'm telling you, there's some things Chico can't handle. I've seen you do the same thing. I've seen you act real stupid. I have. I can handle this. No, you can't. All you do is make a fool out of yourself. Stop. God, you're going to handle this. You're going to do it so much better than I do. You handle things so much better than I handle it. God, when I want to act a fool, when I want to act stupid, when I want to be, God, you can handle it so much better. It ain't going to cause me no embarrassment if I just let you handle it. God, you handle my children so much better than I do. Just use me, the instrument, to follow your word. Just let me follow your word. I don't got to, I don't got to, have my names in lights. I don't got to have uh, the best Father's Day present. I don't have to, have the greatest present of a Father's Day, or for Father's Day, of just being a daddy, friend. I can tell you, ain't nothing no better than just being a daddy. I'll tell you that right now. You ain't got to give me a card. Greatest time. One of the greatest two days of my life was when that doctor walked in there and put that little baby boy inside the arms of a 22-year-old boy, laid him there, and I looked in his eyes and I fell in love right then. I never loved anything like I loved it. I laid that little girl in my arms. I've never loved anything that way. That's the greatest Father's Day gift anybody ever needs. Now, God, I need to get her to you, get him to you. I want to get him to you because I know, God, if I can get him to you, you ain't going to mess up like I'm going to mess up. If I can just get them to you, Lord, if I can keep them in the traces and get them to you, God, I'm not gonna, I'm, you're not going to mess up what I will. God, just help me to get them to you. <laughs> he confessed it. When he confessed it, God stepped out of nowhere and said, let me handle it. I did handle it. Those disciples, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm finished, y'all. Those disciples, they come to him, and it was all said and done. We know that what happened. The boy, you know, the Lord cast, commended the devil to leave him, tear him, throw, left him there for dead. I don't know if he's dead or not, but it said that he, that he looked as one that was dead, did he? That's what it looked like. And they'll come, the, the multitude running to him, and, and Jesus took him by the hands and lifted him up. And Jesus always gives life. Lifted him up, and I believe he sent him on his way. I believe that daddy put his arm around his old boy, little boy, walked on his way that day. Man, there was nothing, never a day compared to the day that he walked away that day. 
He walked away helped for the first time. Listen to me. Those disciples, those disciples came to him and said, Lord, why couldn't we do this? What was going through their minds? Going through their minds was the thought of, Lord, you give us power to do this before. Undoubtedly, they must have cast out a devil before. Don't you think? Because they knew they had that power. They come bragging, Lord, the devils are even subjecting to us. But now here on this day, they couldn't do nothing. Lord, why couldn't we do something? Jesus said, this kind here cometh forth not. But by prayer and fasting. I was talking to Brother Scotty last week. Me and him just had a time in my shop there for a little while. Brother Scotty's had a time in his family here lately. And uh, handled it the way, I mean handled it the way that I'm, I'm not getting into the problem, don't ask me. But he handled it as biblically as it could be handled. I sat and cried with him a couple of weeks earlier come back in the shop this past week he said I just want to tell you preacher he said we started setting aside every Friday the men at Red Creek did we call it the 3F Friday we call it 3F's is what they call it I said, what is that? He said, we're, fa we're fasting for our families on Friday. He said, been two Fridays since I talked to you. I said, yes, sir. He said, guess what happened yesterday? I said, what's that? He said, that boy came home. He said, he came home. He's embarrassed, preacher. But he came home. He said, I told him, said, ain't nobody loves you any more in the world than what we do. There ain't no need in being embarrassed to us. He said, preacher, you're not getting that preacher's business. I'm not getting in his business, and I'm not speaking nothing else other out of turn. I'm telling you, there's a lot of things that don't happen for us because we don't get desperate enough to go to God in a desperate way. When's the last time you prayed and fasted? Well, I don't believe in that stuff today. It's evident we don't believe in it anymore. It's still biblical. You know what? Some of these younger folks that say probably ain't never fasted before. They've never been taught to. The early church, in the church when I was coming up, it was pushed. It was practiced. Today, this kind cometh forth not by Brother Mike, but by prayer and fasting. We ain't seeing results today because we ain't praying and fasting. I wonder today <clears throat> how many of us are desperate enough 
to be a dad that loves our family more than anything. Enough to give up ourselves and to run as hard as we can to God. Things come to us. I don't know your heart this morning, but if you've got family that's out of the way of God, out of the will of God, maybe you're out of the will of God yourself. It's time today to run back. What are you willing to give up for your family? Father in heaven, thank you, God, for the privilege that you let me stand one more time. God, I sure do need you. I'm sorry, God, of my failures. But I sure am glad, God, that you've blessed beyond my greatest imagination. God, you sure have been good to me.